I would say probably one of the biggest mistakes, like specific mistakes that that first principle error leads to is the idea that What is up, B.A. family, and welcome back to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. Today, we have artist, world traveler, entrepreneur, community builder, navigator of the current dating landscape in today's technological age, and building personal brands, Mr. Arlen Moore. There's starting to be a lot more conversation today around the dating landscape, what masculinity is. How does technology affect these things? Is it a pro? Is it a con? And how can we use our personal brand and the way that we project ourselves to actually be authentic online while building a personal brand and being able to attract not only the tribe or the people that we want around us, but also significant others? Today, Arlen and I get into some of these topics around networking, around building relationships, around travel, around masculinity in today's age, all with spirituality at the core of all of the driving decisions that we make and the ability to be quiet and listen to those things. Good, bad, or indifferent, technology is here to stay. And Arlen is a prime example of someone who has been able to leverage his creative abilities, create a personal brand to create high value connections and freedom in his life to travel, to build, to do what he wants to do, where he wants to do and make money while doing it. That is a skill that we can all benefit from. That is a skill that we all should strive to obtain. If the ultimate goal is freedom, if the ultimate goal is to follow our dreams, our passions, people have to know that we exist so that we can spread our truth, so that they can see our product, so that they can see our service. And how do we do that in today's age? We leverage the power of technology for the tool that it is. And I hope today's episode with Arlen Moore gives you motivation, insight, tips, and sparks your creativity to do the exact same thing to carry out your personal dreams. Speaking of technology, if you enjoyed today's episode, you can go check out Arlen on Instagram at Arlen. If you haven't already, check out the show notes. You can join our newsletter for absolutely free. We have a lot of cool events and things that are coming up. So I want to make sure you guys are staying up to date. Without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you Arlen Moore. Okay, recording over there. Jack, you're on the headphones. Testing, check, check. Okay. Yep, we're good. Thank you so much for having me, Mason. Very excited. Seeing some amazing things coming from your podcast, so I'm very excited. Yeah, I want to start, you know, with you sitting on the porch of your parents and looking out to the backyard and some of the realizations that you had on that porch looking out into nature. Okay. Um, sorry, this is when I'm an older man or? No, like I, I remember looking back at some of your videos and seeing, you know, you were sitting in the back porch of your parents' house and oh, you were okay. sitting there yeah. and you were like, I just have some crazy realizations out in nature sitting here. Yeah, no, that's, that's deep research. Wow. That's, that's good. My, yeah, my parents' back porch is, uh, there's a lot of magic that happens back there for sure. I mean, anytime I, stay with my parents 
back home um, on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, it's uh, I, I'm always my most creative. Um, they actually just came out and visited me, and I consult with them all the time. Um, but I think I, I got to get a, give a little bit of background before I go into, you know, the um, the 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 back porch. So my my mom is a painter. Uh, my dad is a photographer. Um, and they're both like abstract, right? Like my mom does abstract expressionist paintings. Um, my dad does the most strange photography you could imagine. Like he, like he basically, and I I just did a, a little trip with my dad to Joshua tree, um, which is kind of known as like a spiritual, you know, uh, vortex type place. Um, and and my and my dad, you know, he like his his goal with photography is like to basically get fo- like right now his his focus is like photos of nothing. Like and and if you think about it like how do you really take a photo of nothing? You know, and and so that's something that he's he's thinking about and that's sort of where he comes from and then my mom is painting these just like wild like nature scenes that if you look like it's not really nature because it's completely abstract. Um, so that's kind of the environment I was raised in just like two artist parents. Um, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but we had a lot of just art education and a huge inspiration. I think for both my mom and dad is, and in what they create is nature. And so we, I was born in Boston and when I was five, my dad moved us to Cape Cod, which is uh, uh, normally a summer town. Like when I tell people that I'm from Cape Cod, they're like, you actually live there? Like it's it's that kind of vibe. And so we got this house uh, when I was five and it had this just tons of trees in the backyard. And, you know, my parents, they lived in Boston for 20 years. So to have just trees in the backyard that just go on for like, you know, uh, forever it was just like they they at first they're a little stir crazy like they're used to being able to go hop on the 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 train and just you know go down to the city but now it's just like to get to the closest store is like 15 minutes away and it's just trees in the backyard and um obviously I didn't really notice that much of a difference uh I think when I was you know 10 11 12 I, I definitely got a little bit like oh there's like nature stuff is so boring you know like there's, there's no um like i wish i lived in a city kind of kind of vibe or, or at least i wish i lived closer to the beach or like closer to to town so i could go and do stuff with my friends but around the time i turned like 18 19 20 and now just increasingly more as i as i get older um the backyard is just like it's just like complete magic like a my dad loves gardening and so he spends a lot of time and he's older now he's 71 years old he uh you know he loves to like he he builds this insane like landscape in the backyard uh, and and is always putting like so much attention to detail and like all these little like areas and plants and 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 he'll he'll collect rocks from everywhere we go like (laughs) Bro, like we went to, uh, we, I just said we went to Joshua Tree. He came back with like 15 rocks. My mom's like, you can't bring these back in the suitcase. It's going to be overweight. And like, <laughs> and so um, 
he had to pick a few rocks to bring him back to the backyard. But, but yeah, man, um, we, we have this backyard. My mom has like a art studio in the backyard. And when you look out, it's just trees, birds, my dad's landscape. And I normally, when I'm on Cape Cod in the summer around like August time, you know, I, my morning routine is I just wake up and I just go sit in the backyard, put my feet in the dirt and just look out at, at the, at the, that environment. And it's just like the amount of ideas and inspiration that hit me just sitting there is like, there's nothing like it. You know, it's, it's like when I, although, you know, I need to get my own roots, of course, right. Having like just two to three months of the year where I'm, where I can do that pretty much charges me up for the rest of the year. And it's not to say like my backyard is the only, my parents' backyard is the only place that I can get inspiration, but it's really powerful. And, um, and I get like inspiration and plans that I can act on for the remainder of of the year. Yeah. It's interesting. There's sometimes those places that, you know, really are magical for us. And I think, you know, nature in general can really cultivate a lot of creativity and it's, you know, hearing your backstory a little bit with both of your parents, you know, having that abstract mind and art, it's really what you're creating now and, and what you're helping other people create. So what did young Arlen like want to be when he grew up? Or was this a path that you kind of grew into later on in life? Young Arlen, I would say when young Arlen was... It's actually a good question. I haven't really thought about it in a little while. And like when I was five, five to like, you know, 12, to be honest, I don't really remember having aspirations of like wanting to be something when I grew up. I was very like just into being a kid and just doing things with friends. And like, uh, I was always into making videos. That was a huge thing. It was like, I, my dad put a camera in my hand when I was two and i just loved making videos i'd go on snowboarding trips with friends make some videos if there was a girl i liked it would be like i'd make some kind of video that had to do with her you know uh and so video creation was always a part of of the of my my blood around the time i was maybe 13 14 15 and getting into like high school i switched and i was like no i don't want to be any of that like it was like I want to make as much money as possible because you know I kind of saw like my parents are artists they don't have money so if I want to make money which I want all my friends parents were like doctors and lawyers I was like I'm going to go to Harvard Medical School and I'm going to be a doctor <laughs> yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and that was my my thing I toured Harvard my freshman year I bought the Harvard Medical like t-shirt from the store and I like wore that around proudly. I got straight A's freshman year, sophomore year, close to straight A's, and then gradually like tapered off A's and B's. Uh, and then I got into film school. I just kind of realized when I was around 18 that it was um, my, my biggest strength was still making videos. So I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to go to film school. And. And so around around that time and it's evolved of course but um i would still say like 18 19 is younger arlen like when i was when i just got to film school my first 
my first mindset was like, I don't want to do film school anymore. Like I want to make money again. <laughs> so I transferred to the business school my freshman year, first semester. And, um, I hated it. I hated it. It was like finance accounting. Um, and then I, I watched the, the social network about Zuckerberg. And I was like, this guy wasn't even paying attention in, in any of his classes. So I was like, I'm going to go back to the film school, just cruise and just build an app. And so I wanted to build an app and, and, uh, I actually made a video recently making a parody of my, my 18 year old self where I, I was like, I'm building an app uh, at the same time I was building like a, a Shopify store and a, a social media management agency. And I was also building a, a course about how to be an influencer, even though I wasn't an influencer at all. So I was trying to do all of these things at once and then just came back again to just making videos. And I, that's when I started my, my actual first thing that was probably considered successful, which was the YouTube channel. And I was just posting videos all the time. And, and that's when I, I think I evolved more to where I am now. But, but yeah, Young Arlen wanted a lot of different things and, and eventually found a path. Yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, building brands and what you've built in that vault of videos that you have and kind of that content being transformational over the years as you've grown as well. But if you could kind of put your finger on, you know, Arlen's personal brand, what would it be and and why? If I had to define it? Yeah, if you had to like define if someone comes up and says Arlen, what's what's your personal brand? Yeah, I would say it's artistically sharing stories with my friends. And a lot of those stories involve adventure or just normal, simple, everyday life, um, but trying to share it in a, in a unique way um, and communicating a lot of the story without words like trying to visually show something or convey an emotion or um or you know just have a certain shot that like is angled a certain way that that you know communicates a certain idea and in doing that you know the last seven six seven years um and in wanting to build a business off of it I basically, you know, I just wrote down like, what are my biggest strengths? And it was like, well, video, you know, making videos, telling stories, but also my friends. And I realized that a lot of people, like I've just gotten side, side note, like very obsessed with just networking and, and dating and like social dynamics. And I've been obsessed with that for, since I was 18. And, um, and so I realized that's just become a massive strength. It's just like people and the people that I'm around in my videos, and people ask me questions all the time about how do you make friends with, you know, multimillionaires? How do you make friends with pretty girls? Like, how, how do you get a, a girlfriend? And, and so that's why I built Tribe Accelerator to uh, Tribe Accelerator is basically an education arm of my brand that teaches guys how to uh, how to leverage building a personal brand and do some of the things I do artistically and, and how I tell stories on Instagram and and in through video as well. And then mixing that with communication skills and how to, how to become a better, more charismatic speaker, how to use silence to draw people in, you know, all of these different social tactics. Um, 
And so I, I have a lot of enjoyment on that side of the brand too. Yeah. When I look at your content, it makes sense because you do a really good job of painting that picture and that story in an artistic way that does draw people in. You know, I've, I've heard you talk about, you know, the hypnotic effect of, you know, your Instagram or someone's videos and, and that really is a thing and it is an art form. And so it makes sense, you know, hearing the origin of it. And I think the biggest thing that the listeners can take away here is the art of storytelling. Right. And, and how powerful that is, whether it's, you know, in the form that we're doing it auditorily through video, through written. I mean, that is how everything in this world goes around at the end of the day is storytelling. And so you've definitely crafted that skill to your unique advantages and it's worked out for you. But I want to talk about, you know, when you were starting to actually build a business around this skill that you had, that you knew you had. You know, what were the early stages like and then how has that flourished and scaled since then? So when I first, so the first business I started off of my YouTube channel was actually a merch company and I was selling, you know, hoodies and t-shirts and stuff. Um, But then after I graduated, actually around my senior year, uh, this guy, Sam Ovens, I don't know if you know him, um, but he basically popped onto the scene and he was like, he, he blew up because he was basically showing people how to start coaching businesses. And I would, I would definitely consider him like the father of the info product industry. And I watched his webinar and I was like, well, I already have this giant following. Like I know a lot of people want to learn stuff from me, but I actually didn't know that it was going to be you know, essentially like how to win friends and influence people (laughs) as my product. I had no idea. Like I just was sitting here with like several hundred thousand followers that appreciated my content and the stories I was telling, but I didn't have a niche. And that's what he kept saying. He's like, you have to choose a niche. And I'm like, okay, well, how the hell do I choose a niche? Like I have, I talk about so many different things, you know, and, and I also just, I, like I, I have my, my relationship with my audience at the time and still today is like a friend, you know? So how do I, how do I pick what to do? So to be honest, like the first two years were like super confusing. Like when I, when I first started the coaching business, I actually gave up after like, like a month because it was just, I was actually also in a difficult relationship at the time and my life in general was just not the best. But, um, yeah, it was hard because I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what my offer was. And I was just, I was getting on the phone with people trying to do, you know, sales calls, but I didn't know what I was even selling them. And these people were just like super excited to talk to me. And I get on the phone with basically like a gigantic raving fan. And also, by the way, at the time, I didn't know how to like qualify clients. It was basically just like, here's my Calendly link. Who wants to talk to me? <laughs> And so I'd get on the phone and it'd be like this girl, like super excited, like, oh my God, like Arlen. And I'm, I'm reading like the Sam Oven sales script and it's like, it, <laughs> dude, it's so bad. It was like, you know, like it, it's like a 12 step sales script. I sound like a robot. This girl's just like a huge super fan has been watching me for like years. And at the end, I'm like, it, it, it's like state the price. I'm like, so it'll be $2,500. And then, and then Sam Ovens is like, and then you just wait. 
and you just be silent and you wait for them to make the first move. And I'm just sitting there and the girl's like, what? Like, <laughs> so I had, I had no idea what I was doing and that was very discouraging and like, it made me feel weird. You know, you can imagine it's just like when you know nothing about sales and you know nothing about selling a high ticket product, but you have 160,000 YouTube subscribers that are obsessed with you. It was very weird. It was so difficult to navigate. Um, but eventually, I I launched a low-ticket offer called Maxi. And Maxi is something I'm still working on to this day. Um, but I, I launched it at the just before the pandemic started. And it's basically a mental reprogramming tool. A tool that helps you decide your goals for your life and aligns them with your months, your weeks, and your days. And I launched it. And that did very well because it was pretty affordable. Everyone can relate to it. Everyone has goals. And and that was great. And then about six months into that, I had a mentor tell me that, you know, my my most loyal fans, like 80-20 rule, my most loyal fans will be willing to pay me like 10x or 100x what the bottom 80-90% of followers will um, will pay. And so that's when the idea of like a high ticket course came again. But again, it was still just like a, it was like when I first launched it and I got, I I had like four sales in the first week, it was literally, hey, do you want to talk to Arlen? That was the offer because I still didn't know what it was. And it took, it took several years to get to the point where I realized that the product market fit for me is networking, dating, personal branding, and wrapping that all together into a, you know, a community, a network of men only who want to meet other motivated men who aren't just drinking and partying Mm -hmm. all the time. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's the story of how we got to where we are, um, today. It was not a smooth road. It was definitely like just all over the place. Of course. Ebbs and flows. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, catering to men only, and we're seeing a lot, you know, with Tate and, and a lot of other, uh, you know, people that are coming out and, you know, focusing on this message towards men, which I think is amazing. But, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see or hear from your clients and people that you've talked to? Um, what are some of the biggest mistakes that they're making, you know, as a man or whether it's in their relationships or their business or maybe just some mental, uh, you know, mindset uh, self-limiting beliefs like is there something that really sticks out to you when you're talking to these people yeah the biggest mistake is a mistake from first principles meaning the the first principle meaning like they are acting out of ego and out of and and their their goals that they're even setting in the first place and the things that they think they want are out of ego and not out of what I would call today God, um, what others might call universe, source, higher self. Um, and and that's the that's the biggest problem that causes all the other problems. If you're trying to basically set goals to look cool, to achieve validation from other men or, or from women, or if you're trying to, yeah, just set goals to impress people there's goals that are very vain and that only serve yourself if you don't have any higher level of purpose 
um, you're screwed from the beginning because, and, and I know that because I was like that for a while, you know? And so I see other guys doing the same thing and I, I see it time and time again. Um, I would say probably one of the biggest mistakes, like specific mistakes that that first principle error leads to is the idea that a man needs to, um, the, the guy has the desire to have like a high body count, you know, to sleep with tons of girls, to rack up his numbers, to like, you know, fuck the hottest girl. Like that's, that's probably the biggest error that I see that is actually based in, in just in insecurity and just a misunderstanding of how to actually achieve fulfillment. That's, that's the biggest one by far. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's a crazy stat that was like 5% of the men or even a smaller percent of that get 90, 95% of the women in today's world. And it's like, that seems like such a large discrepancy, but when you really look around and think about it, like that's really true. And, you know, give or take the great things that technology has brung or not brung, you know, it's also given us instant access to dopamine and to a lot of different things where, you know, we don't have to go out and work for it as much, even dating apps, you know? So what is your opinion on, you know, what technology has brought maybe a pro for relationships and dating and maybe a con that people should be aware of whenever they're utilizing that tool? I think a pro for men, uh, actually, let me think, let me start with a con and then try to, yeah, because I definitely know the pro. Con of technology is, now I'll start with the pro. So the, the pro of technology in the dating landscape for men, is it actually can put you as a man on a level playing field uh, with women in terms of your sexual value uh, and in the marketplace in the sexual marketplace at like a younger age. When you work on yourself enough as a man, like even if you start really working on yourself at 18, by like 22, 23, I, I truly believe you can have like near equal status in the sexual marketplace as a 22, 23-year-old woman. Um, meaning, if you're, you know, normally like, uh, and there's that that saying, like if you see a 19-year-old man on a private jet, guy, boy, on a private jet, you're like, how the hell did he get here there? If you see a 19-year-old girl on a private jet, you're like, oh, makes sense, right? She's just super hot and some billionaire invited her on the private jet. Um, but I, th- I think with social media, it's that gap is, is decreasing. Um, and because of that, you know, um, men have the, ba- basically men are able to build themselves up from, you know, 18 to 23. So good five years of like self-work. And if you learn like how to, how to present yourself as, you know, as a good high value man, you can leverage Instagram for your dating life and you can feel almost as abundant as a girl. There's ways to do it where, cause like a, a, an attractive 22 year old girl, she can go to the grocery store and basically have five potential boyfriends, right? Cause like every guy is hitting on her. 
Whereas a guy doesn't get that kind of attention. But if you know how to use social media, you can maybe not get the same exact attention, but you can feel just as abundant to the point where that abundance is is um that that abundance is like readily available, if that makes sense. So as long as you put in several years of work as a man, you know, you can leverage social media to get on the same playing field as as women. Um, the con of that is that, um, that can lead to a lot of temptation and that can lead to a lot of kind of how, uh, what, what the previous question was, you know, what are, what are the biggest problems in, in the world that we, uh, we've created, um, with social media and technology is that I think it can exacerbate and accelerate the whole hookup culture thing. Because, you know, you can just send some messages using Instagram and you can have a girl fly out to you and then, you know, you can have sex. And it's just, and so it it, it accelerates that process, um, which I don't think is a good one. Yeah, coming from, you know, someone who has probably been a part of, you know, quote unquote, hookup culture, myself included, you know, do you think that, a man needs to go through that phase in his life in order to, you know, feel more fulfilled within his relationship on the back end. Like, do you think there's a certain level of exploration that needs to happen prior to being able to, uh, you know, fully be engaged and, and there for a spouse? Or, you know, do you think that you could be totally, you know, walking into a relationship where without those experiences, and it still be healthy. Obviously, you know, you talked about the the self-worth and the self-love that has to go into that. But in terms of the dating market, wh- what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think it depends on the guy. I think that the majority of guys, especially in the West, in America, have actually been brainwashed by who knows who. But, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I, even just... I was actually Jack, who's helping me, you know, with this podcast right now. We recently watched American Pie, specifically American Pie Beta House. And I remember when I was 13 years old, I was watching American Pie with Eric Stifler as the main character. And it was just like showing what college is like. And it's like, you've got to fuck as many girls as possible. And it's it's just like, that's what I thought I wanted when I was 13. And then there was also porn. And then, and then there's you know, uh, other mainstream movies that, that would come out and really just, just brainwash young guys mixing that with, you know, just puberty and hormones. And, and now all of your other friends are watching those movies and you get in the hockey locker room or the football locker room, whatever. And everyone's talking about, Oh, who'd you fuck this weekend? So, you know, if that's what you're up against, if that's how you were raised and if you have if you're brainwashed to think that sleeping with tons of women uh, is what you need to do, then I actually think you probably should. I actually do think you should try to go down that path. And the reason is because it takes pain of realizing how unfulfilling that is to have the confidence to turn around and get and step into a relationship where you don't really have temptation. Like, you know, in, in my relationship right now, when I see other girls on Instagram, I can look at them and be like, like, I, 
I can look at them and be like, I'm not tempted because I I already know so much about that type of girl just from meeting girls that are like that in person. Or I can see like how the angle is taken and, you know, it, and you can just, you do learn a lot through the experience of kind of going through that hookup culture to, to realize like, oh, it's actually all kind of just sucks. <laughs> like what I have in with one good girl is so much better than when you just have casual relationships with a bunch of girls that, you know, that aren't the same level. So there's a statement that, you know, I think is partly true, but I would like to hear, you know, your opinion. And this could refer to relationships of opposite sex. It could also be, you know, friendships in general. Um, you know, I think sometimes we get, at least myself personally, get caught in this little corner of the internet and, uh, you know, people who I associate myself with and don't realize that, you know, a lot of people have a lot of trouble making re- meaningful relationships with people who help them grow. I know what you do with tribe and, and what we do with our communities as well is try and bridge that gap. But what are some ways that people can bridge that gap? If they're saying Arlen Mason, you know, I love what you're talking about, but like, I just don't know where to start with like meeting people like you in person to really fulfill my life and help me, you know, move in the right direction. Where would someone like that start? Yeah. The biggest shortcut is, is definitely joining one of these communities, whether it's yours or tribe or, or war room or, you know, literally any online community, because you're just shortcutting a lot, you know, whether it's free to access or, you know, paid to access, you know, that everyone else had to pay to access. So they're just as serious about their growth. Um, but, you know, obviously there's other ways to do it. And the way I would break it down most simply if I had to give like four steps is one, you have to first define the types of people that you want. So you, you can't find what you're looking for if you don't have a destination. Like if you get in an Uber and you don't tell the driver where you want to go, he's not going to know where to take you. So it's the same with life. You know, you have to specifically define where is it that you want to go in terms of the people that you want to have, the relationships you want to have with women or relationship. uh, And you have to be very specific. But I would also integrate the first principle mindset that even though these are the things you think you want, you're actually, you, you are open to whatever the higher power wants you to have, right? So you might think you want a girl that is X, Y, and Z and that has these traits and say like, this is what I'm looking for. But if God or the universe wants to give me something else, that's what I want, right? Ultimately, you let like the higher power decide. So you, you have to actually work in like both of those. Um. Because often the universe gives you relationships that 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 you you didn't know that you actually wanted, you know, and and uh, or you didn't know that you actually needed uh, to t- to teach you lessons or to even give you more fulfillment than you could even imagine. Like uh, an affirmation that I'll often tell myself is, "The things that I attract are even better than I imagine them to be." So I, I'm off. I'm often like even though I, I clearly define the types of people I want in my life, I'm like, oh, I want entrepreneurs that are like this, that have like large personal brands, or, you know, I, for example, even with this podcast, like I wanna, I wanna be featured on podcasts that are X, Y, and Z. I leave, I, I basically meet the universe like halfway. I'm like, this is what I want, I think, but really I'm, I'm open to whatever the universe has in store. 
So you have to do that with the specific types of people you want, with your friends, with the types of girls you want to date or the type of relationship you want, uh, mentors, and just define it first. Write it, literally write it down and review it. Um, review it on a daily basis. Then after you do that, there's actionable things you can do beyond like the woo of, of mindset and manifestation. Um, the first one is actually making an effort to improve your online presence, your personal brand. Uh, specifically, I recommend Instagram. If you learn how to brand yourself and to show what you're actually working on as a man uh, and, and you show yourself effectively whatever you're building uh, in, in a way that is, you know, that uses like basically principles from, if you read the book, Influenced by Robert Cialdini, you work in like social proof, authority bias, reciprocity. If you understand these these cognitive biases and you work them into your Instagram, then when someone that you meet on the street asks you for your Instagram, they're gonna they're gonna feel like they met a very important person when you hand them over your Instagram. So so improving your Instagram is step two. Getting pictures in high value locations. Um, again, imagining like okay. Like there's some pictures on my Instagram with me and my friend, uh, Jordan Greenfield. Jordan is the founder CEO of a company called Hubie. And if you click on the picture of me and then you click on Jordan, you're going to see Jordan is with David Dobrik. He's with 50 Cent. He's with Akon. He's with all these like crazy successful people. And so the, the, the way social proof works on Instagram is, okay, this guy, Jordan, is cool with Alesso, 50 Cent, Akon. Jordan is cool with Arlen. Okay, Arlen must be cool, right? And so it, it communicates like a, a level of authority uh, and an attraction without you even having to open your mouth. So step one, define who you want. Step two, build a highly attractive Instagram to both men and women. Then after you've built an attractive Instagram, what I recommend doing is starting to plan some kind of a weekly event. And this actually, uh, it didn't originate for me from the Jewish tradition, but the more that I, I have a Jewish girlfriend, and I mean, I was raised Jewish, um, the more that I, I go to my girlfriend's family's Shabbat, the more I realize like, this is the way. And so what, what the Jews do is every single Friday, they have something called Shabbat, where the whole family gets together and friends, and they have a dinner every Friday around like 6, 7 p.m. And they hang out, they talk, they relax, they talk about business, you know, whatever is happening in the world. Last week, we were talking about the SVB collapse um, and like, and stuff happens at these, at these dinners. And so in, in Tribe, what I recommend guys do is something similar. Set up a weekly event. It could be a dinner. It could be, um, who knows, whatever you like doing. Maybe you like paintball. Maybe you like foiling like the thing that Zuckerberg does on the, like the surfboard with the blade on the bottom. Maybe, maybe, you know, whoever, like whatever it is that you personally enjoy doing, set up something weekly that you invite your circle to and you do it every week. And that way, when you meet a new friend, you can invite them to that thing, right? So I don't know if you know who Solbra is. He's a influencer. He's been on. Yeah, Yeah, he's been on the pod. Oh, yes. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Solbra is coming over tomorrow, um, staying for the weekend. And I told him, I was like, I hope you're ready for Shabbat. Like, I'm just going to bring him to, you know, my girlfriend's family Shabbat. So um, to have something weekly 
whenever notice that everything that we're talking about is like prepping yourself and prepping um prepping an environment around yourself so that when you do meet the types of people that you want you actually have something to give value because mo- most people are like oh you know okay i guess i'm just going to go cold approach someone or i'm going to i'm going to go to a club and like meet some millionaire i'm going to buy a ga ticket and go approach him at the table like you don't have anything to to offer him or, or the pretty girl, right? If you meet a pretty girl on the street, like what are you going to invite her to? So if you have cool things already that you do regardless of whether that pretty girl you invite comes or not, or whether you have like a successful entrepreneur coming to town, um, you know, wh- whether they come to whatever you invite them to or not, it doesn't matter, right? Like I'm going to go to Shabbat Friday <laughs> with my girlfriend's family, regardless of whether Soul Brawl wants to come or not, you know? So um, that, that's the principle, right? And you can obviously extrapolate that into whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, and so, yeah, those are, those are the four steps in summary. It's define who you want, build your Instagram, um, build an event, a recurring event could be weekly, could be monthly. And then you have to recruit people to, uh, go to that event. So that could be, you know, just having a, having a, you know, a, a structure in your life, whether it's you attend larger events or you you do cold approach girls and whatever, whatever club or mall or city or or gym that you go to depends where you are in the world. Um, and then you have something to invite them to. And then you just you practice basic communication skills, uh, learn how to build charisma, learn how to make people attracted to you. And you, then you invite them back to your thing. You give them your Instagram. They look at your Instagram. They're like, oh, shit, who the hell is this guy? Why Why is Why is this person f- with all of these people? Um, and yeah, and that's the process. And I think the very last thing is, as a man, you know, y- you have to actually be building something cool. Like, <laughs> you, you have to have a business or a job or something that you tr- that is truly like connected to your heart's mission in life and you have to be doing that every single day. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to have much gravity to you no matter how cool your Instagram is. So So yeah, that's that's basically the formula. Yeah, it reminds me of you know something that I heard the other day about, you know, if you want to attract butterflies and whether you know you want to call the butterflies women, men, uh, friends, you know, people that you want to attract that person that you really identified, you know, there's one of two ways to go about it. You can, you know, go and you can try and catch all of them with your net and you can run around and you can run yourself tired and those butterflies are going to fly away or you can build a beautiful garden and you can water the soil and, you know, the flowers can grow and the butterflies can come to you. And I think that's so important too, with everything that you're talking about is building that ecosystem you know, pouring into yourself, investing in yourself, knowing what you want, knowing who you want and having that vision. And when you do, it is kind of that source, God, that, you know, really leads you and allows those people to come into your lives and those situations to happen. So, I mean, it's, it's important and it's, it's easier said than done, even when you break it down like that, because there is so many things that are, that are pulling for our attention at all times. (laughs) Yeah. So you'll have to say what's up to soul for me too. I love that dude. But, um, I want to kind of talk about, you know, the spiritual aspect because, 
you know, we could have all of these things and we could have the best social circle and, and, you know, we could have all of the money in the world and all of the resources at our fingertips. But if our internal environment isn't good, then, you know, we'll feel unfulfilled in a certain type of way. And I want to talk a little bit about your journey spiritually and, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, your practice with meditation or how your beliefs has changed over the years, kind of take us down that path a little bit and some of the realizations that you've had when it comes to, you know, your spirituality and how it ties into your life. So, um, some of the realizations that I've had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think my, my spiritual journey starts around the time I was 15. I smoked weed for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, with with my friends that you know I was in I was in high school with and we were on the hockey team together and I grew up with these guys and it was like the cool crowd now and you got to smoke weed to be cool and I continued to smoke weed with them from like 15 to around the time I was 16 and just be, just before I turned 16 I had like a bad not trip bad high and my that like completely shifted my consciousness but I thought it was bad because it's it's just so strange. The more I reflect on this, like I basically had one of those like weed freakouts where, you know, I thought I was going to die and I thought like my heart was going to stop beating or beat out of my chest. And after that, it just, it led me to like, I just kind of, I started to realize like, holy shit, like I, I would just wake up essentially and be like, and by wake up, I mean like wake up, but I'm awake. Like I'd be in class and I just have this like bolt of energy hit me and be like, like we're on like a, a spinning rock in space. Like I, an, an inexplic- inexplainable with words feeling of just like, what the hell is this? Like, what is all of this? Because before I was just completely trapped in my consciousness, just kind of enjoying life. But now I was like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm in this body. I, I'm aware that I'm aware, Right. But that was terrifying, and that led to negative thinking patterns, anxiety, uh, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, fainting, um, and I didn't want to tell anyone, too, because it was, like, super embarrassing, and I didn't know, I, I thought maybe I was depressed, or I had, like, a, a mental illness, or I was going to be schizophrenic, or, you know, I was going to, you know, something, there had to be something wrong with me, but finally, you know, around the time I turned 19, 18, 19, 18, really, uh, so three years of that, I realized it was just like a, an Eckhart Tolle spiritual awakening, but not the nice kind. It was like it was like the bad kind. <laughs> um, I mean, looking back, it was it was fine. But I realized that, and people who are listening to this who have anxiety, all anxiety is is just it's like when you look at to take butterflies. When you look at a caterpillar that's cocooning and turning into a butterfly, it's not a pretty process. They're they're literally like transforming themselves in this like screwed up looking way and then they turn into something beautiful and that's the process of your your consciousness evolving which typically happens in the form of anxiety and when anxiety is hitting a person all that means is it's it's like your body is like it's it's trying to accept higher levels of energy and that's what happened to me and then when i was 18 i had i had suffered enough and I kind of became this butterfly and I just felt like, 
like enlightened. Like I was aware of, I was aware that I was aware most of the day. And then I started regularly meditating, practicing this. Um, I remember that Tony Robbins, I was listening to Tony Robbins back then as well. And he was saying that meditation has this ramping effect where first you're doing it 10 minutes a day and you kind of go back and forth from like a sleep consciousness autopilot to just fully awake all the time. And probably for the last several years, I've been awake like all the time. It's so cool. Like, and by awake, I mean like, you know, I'm just aware that I'm aware all the time as if I'm like watching myself in a movie. Um, so that's been like the journey as far as today, you know, I still try to practice doing nothing pretty often, you know, at at least, at least like 30 minutes a day, I sit down and, and just sit still and just do nothing and try to get, you know, get back to that like purest form of, of the, of the source. Um, and, and yeah, I have several other routines that I do, but you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun journey. It's, and now it's just about like waking up everyone else because <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's fun when it's like this. Yeah. I remember when I had that kind of moment and it just clicked for me and it felt like joy was the best way that I could describe it. And it was, it was that moment where I was like, man, like I want everybody to feel this. How many people have been walking through life, you know, like zombies and and not realizing that this is inside of us and we have unlimited access to it. And so that was, that was kind of the ticking point for me as well. But out of all of the, you know, good habits, you hear all the mental health gurus and, you know, people online that say, Oh, you got to do this, do this. Here's your morning ritual. All these things, you know, that some of them I'm sure are helpful, right? For you, what are some of the highest ROI habits that you have had, um, for your life in general? And, you know, what are our listeners, um, that they can, you know, implement in their daily life? Yeah, probably, probably nothing too crazy or out of the ordinary that, that, uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, are pretty awakened. Um, you know, obviously meditation, sitting still in a chair for a while, um, you know, goal setting, that kind of thing. My flavor of the spiritual side of the, of, of the world, spiritual side of the universe, my flavor right now is I actually revisited Tony Robbins and I bought one of his, he has like a $250 course called get the edge. And it has like a, it's like a 10 day audio tape and there's a, a morning routine like it's the Tony Robbins get the edge morning routine. And it's like, it's just like 15 minutes long. And it's it, you wake up out of, you get out of bed, you start breathing exercises and you start moving. And then you do like gratitude, visualization and incantations. And I do this every morning right now. And it's so good. It's like, it it just, it's crazy. I mean, you know, Tony Robbins is the goat and that program, that single audio tape has been like juicing me. I did it this morning. Um, and it's like a good, you know, it's a primer and, and, and yeah. Um, aside from that, I mean, I think a, a big one is just doing some form of like Vipassana, like three day, three to seven day silent retreat. That's very eye opening and very clarifying to what you need to do. And I think the last one I would mention for now is just 
spending more time with your parents and learning from your parents and just just if if you have if you're fortunate enough to have parents if not parents grandparents um and just like submitting to the fact that most of the things that they've been telling you your whole life are true <laughs> and even though you never wanted to admit it and that like even like what your mom tells you you should be eating or what your dad tells you you should do is just like just generally true and just listening to that wisdom yeah absolutely on a little bit more of the business front you know you talked about you know the creative uh, inherent skill that you that you've crafted over the years and you know kind of you know the genesis of what you have built now I want to talk about scaling and what you've done over the years and at what point do you outsource certain things or are there certain things where you know it stays in your camp and hey I'm always going to be over control of x what is that for you if there are those things It's a good question it's it's honestly something I'm still figuring out and still learning but I've learned a lot in the last year um now I have like 17 people on my team um, so yeah, I, I mean, at first it was like, like when I first started in business, my idea was very Tim Ferriss influenced because all I wanted to do was be like me, virtual assistant, million dollar business. Like that's all I wanted. And I wanted to just four hour work week, automate everything. And, and that's it. And I just kept hitting my head against the wall because I realized that yes, that's that's possible, but it's just limiting. And then even if you're only like I've I've had the four hour work week, but then it's like like the, I realized like the most fun in my life that I ever have had was when I was building my YouTube channel and I was just working all the time. I was like, that's that's the most fun that I have. So I might as well optimize my life and business to just be be building, always be building something. And recently what I've been building is, is a real business. <laughs> and I say real business because I, I really don't think that like a one, a, a, a two or three person business is like, it's not, you just can't call it like a real operation. Like, yes, it is technically. And you have your LLC or, you know, uh, your business entity and you, you can make a lot of money. Um, and I, I mean, I have friends that make like two or three million dollars a year with like three people on their team. And that's great, but it is different when you have team meetings and you have departments and you have um, you have people who are better than you at each part of the business doing that part of the business. Um, like, and I'm a creative person. I'm very talented and I know that. And so it was hard for me to be like, okay, I got to find someone who's better at copywriting than me. I got to find someone who's better at sales than me. But as soon as I, I, that became my mindset, things got a lot easier. Um, I actually, I shouldn't say that they didn't get easier, but it, it shifted, it just shifted my perspective because then the next skill set that I realized I had to learn was like leadership and holding people accountable and motivating a team and being a CEO. And and um and that's a whole other ball game than just being a video editor um or, or video editor slash like you know i was doing everything back in the day like setting up systems and sales and fulfillment of everything so so yeah um 
um, how it's scaled. I mean, do, like what the, the question was, how do I know what I should still be doing? Um, the way that I handle it is I, I basically try to delegate as much as possible to the people that are, are definitely significantly better than me. Right. Like, so for example, two, there's two areas of the business that I just, there's, there, there's several areas, but two, for example, are sales, like my sales team, my sales guy is just like really fucking good. And he's way better than I am. Like he did solar sales for years. He sold millions. Um, he's just, just way better than I am. Right. Then there's, um, there's the like tech department and I'm actually decently good at like operations and Zapier, but I just, I finally like hired someone to build out like a custom tracking dashboard. And like, I have no idea how he did it. Um, so, so that stuff, I'm like, you take it, but then we're going back to like, okay, Arlen as this like creative artist person. And a lot of my brand is driven by videos and content and, uh, and, and writing even. And, and so for that, and this is, this is something I haven't really talked about. So I'm excited here. I've been building out a brand design language and I actually talk about how to do this in Tribe Accelerator. But my team, I have four video editors. I have a copywriter and I have a thumbnail editor. And I may be forgetting one or two people on the creative side, but they all follow like it's it's a design and art essentially artistic branding language that I am the curator of. So if you the, the way I would explain it is like if you look at Louis Vuitton or you look at Off White, you know any of these major fashion brands, like the the original creator, like I mean Virgil, rest in peace, Virgil, um, Virgil Abloh, creator of Off White, like he he died, but even when he was alive, he wasn't the one actually making the new designs. He just created a template for this is what Off White can look like like here's here's the tools you can use here's the fonts you can use here's the color schemes you can use here's the store like the the themes that you can relate back to here's the mission of the brand now you as the designer take those those constrictions and go create your go create your art and then that that's what becomes the off-white brand and i've actually learned a lot of this from my mom because my mom's an art professor as well she teaches it um, in college and like a lot of the art assignments she gives her students, you could think of it as like, she's actually giving them an assignment that is basically like a brand language. So she's like, you have to use these materials. You have to use these colors, these patterns, and that's what the assignment is. So, so that's, that's what I do and how I'm both maintaining control and relinquishing control at the same time within, within my team. Um, and trying to still use my strengths, but also scale. Yeah, there's there's a few things that come to mind. I actually just had a show with uh, the CEO of NutriSense, and he kind of talked about the same thing in terms of scale, was he wants to hire someone that's three times better at that certain skill. And, and then I'm like, well, how do you quantify <laughs> like three times better? He's like, well, if, I, uh, if it takes me 10 outreaches to land you know, a brand partnership deal, and this person does it in three or four. Like I know that, you know, they're better than me by that many uh, amounts and that many tries or that much time elapsed. Right. 
And so it's always like trying to replace yourself in that specific role. And a lot of times, you know, we're wearing multiple hats as entrepreneurs early on. So it really is, um, you know, people based, everything we do is around relationships and it's all for people and by people. And I think that's a backbone of what entrepreneurs need to understand as well is like, this is not for us. Like what we are building is for other people. And when we turn that viewpoint to the consumer, to the person that we're trying to help, to our target market, whoever it may be, that's when we really have value that scales because it's not about us anymore. And and that's where I feel like today, you know, it's like, oh, entrepreneurship's so cool. Like I want to do this so I can do all these things and make this money. And it's, it's not about that. Right. And so anyone listening that, you know, is currently an entrepreneur on their journey, I feel like that's important to keep in mind. And then the other thing you said, it reminds me of a creative construct, right? I think you and I have very similar brains in that, like we have the creative side and we can see the vision, but we need people and like the engineers and the people to help us really like make this thing come to life. And for us and for a lot of people that are listening right now, you know, our mind can probably wander into a lot of different places and a lot of ideas that we have. It's hard sometimes to grab those and bring them in and then, you know, actually breathe life into them. And so the idea of what you're saying with creative constructs is creating those, you know, creative boundaries that you can play within and then it eliminates a lot of that decision, right? And so you can focus within the tools that you have to create and actually be more creative by giving yourself those boundaries. So it's, it's super interesting. And I I love hearing, you know, how people's brains work in that space, but it is important to, you know, have a simplistic view, but also when you get in the weeds, it's, it's good to understand these things as you're growing your business. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that. I like, um, yeah, yeah. Creative constructs. I like that concept. And, um, Oh shoot! What was the thing you said before? Oh, oh, the the three times better the guy you interviewed. The three times better. That's good. Yeah, because I think um, a giant mistake that entrepreneurs building a team make is they hire someone who's just about as good as them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or a little bit worse, or a little bit better. But then what happens is you find yourself micromanaging them and being like, "Oh no, it should look like this." Instead of just being like, "That's your thing." I don't know. I do not know how to make that better. Uh, it should be obvious. That's a really good point. Yeah. So you're in Malibu right now, you know, you've been all over the country and I want to talk about, you know, this nomadic lifestyle that you've been living, the pros and cons, some things that, you know, you've loved about it and maybe some things that you haven't liked about, you know, being a nomad as an entrepreneur and maybe some of the tips that people can utilize as well, if that's, kind of lifestyle that they're trying to live yeah i mean i've been to 15 countries in the last uh eight to ten months (laughs) um we did like a massive europe trip and then after that we went to dubai um uh south africa like yeah we've been my girlfriend and i've been all over the place and she she was definitely a little bit more like fed up than I am because to be honest like it there's not many cons to it for me because I can work wherever I can just set up my camera my my laptop that's all I need I don't need that many clothes like I don't need that many things with me I'm pretty minimalistic on that front um 
So, so I would say like advice for people that want to travel a lot is, is yeah, figure out fashion wise, like how to have a wardrobe of clothing that you can utilize over and over again. And it doesn't feel like you're wearing the same thing a lot. I think one way to do that is just wear a lot of black because black just goes with everything and it you can wear black at a you wear black jeans and a black t-shirt to a fancy restaurant you can wear it to a club you can wear it you can wear black t-shirt to the gym you know just lots of black that's kind of what i do um and yeah i mean i i i'm like pretty good probably the best nomad packer i've ever seen is actually jay alvarez in Mykonos, he showed me what he had, and and he had a he had a parachute. He had one pair of shorts, one pair of black pants, two black t shirts, and like a scarf. One pair of shoes and like a like this black scarf that he wears, and that was it. Like it just the the parachute to go skydiving, and then like a couple pairs of clothes. And he obviously washes them and stuff, and you know, but. Uh, but yeah, so so figure out your your fashion, make it as simple as possible so that you can doesn't matter what you're wearing, you can you don't even have to think about it and you always look good. Then figure out a business and light and a, a remote business setup that you can make money in any time zone and anywhere in the world. And being able to work from your laptop is key for that. That's quite uh quite obvious, you know, you can't be traveling if you have a place you have to be at 9 a.m. every Monday. Um, so yeah, that, and then I think another part of it is, and I think most men are like this in general, but like, I like not buying return tickets because what I've found in my travels is that whenever you travel somewhere, you either want to leave sooner or later. (laughs) It's almost never on the exact day that you plan. So I like to just buy a flight there. And ideally too, there's, you know, it depends where you're at financially. If you go, if you're traveling to places that aren't that expensive, like Bali or, or, or Cape Town or Colombia, then you can actually afford to not buy the return ticket because probably extending your Airbnb or hotel or wherever you are is actually cheaper than whatever you're paying for rent in the US or wherever, you know, the UK, wherever you're normally based. So, so picking like affordable locations, not buying a return ticket. And then just going completely with the flow, whatever the universe or God wants you to do, you just listen to that intuition and and you travel as as it's kind of guided to you. Um, the cons of it are that it is difficult to get into flow states with your work. Like you definitely get into, you get lots of ideas while traveling, you see different cultures, you you meet tons of different people, but you don't get to sit at your desk and like, get into a flow state because time zone switching, you know, moving different Airbnbs all the time, living out of a suitcase, even though you don't have that much to begin with, is still, it's hard to just get into a routine. Yeah. F- uh, funny story uh, about Jay. I, my dad and his dad used to work together back at GM back in the day. And then John is his dad's name, moved to Hawaii and started the coffee shop and then would have a surfboard on the back of the Jeep and just, you know, be able to throw it in whenever. But my dad still stayed at GM. And I remember John would always send us um, Jack Johnson CDs and some coffee from his coffee shop. And one year we went. It's funny. I actually have a picture of me and Jay when I was like, God, probably like 10, maybe 
Um, and I doubt he remembers this. I haven't talked to him in ages, but we, uh, he's, he like redid the house. I think that he used to be in with his dad on North shore. And I remember just going down this volcanic rock and he has had super long hair, was wearing no shoes, like just like a little baby Tarzan running around. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy experience to like see that lifestyle, but you know, even at that time he had just started filming and, and, you know, getting into that as well. So it's crazy to see that trajectory that he's been on. Um, super exciting to see happy for him. Yeah, it's, it was a long time ago, man, but I remember like it was yesterday. This Hawaii is a special place. It's definitely magical. I want to talk about like, you know, we've heard this term of like the circuit or the best places to be in the world at specific times. What is, you know, some of your favorite places to be at, you know, within a calendar year? And is there one that really sticks out to you? Like this time of year, this place is the best and the most fun that I've ever had. Yeah. It, the circuit actually depends on your goals. Um, this is actually a, a more, I think like recent revelation that I've had um, because th- there's like different types of circuits actually. Like if you're optimizing for, you know, pretty girls and, you know, successful like tech or nomadic entrepreneurs, um, influencers, right? Then there's there's kind of the circuit that I did last year, which is like Coachella, Cannes Film Fest, Monaco F1, um, and you basically the, the that circuit it's and the other circuits as well as I'll go into they're they're based around events. So wherever like the biggest event in the world is for that type of person, you um you you go there and you go to that city and you just spend a week around that area. So if 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 F one the race car race is happening, then you go where F one is. There's F ones all over the world, but. Um, if, if the Super Bowl is happening in Miami, then you go to the, you go to Miami. If Art Basel is happening in Miami, you go to Miami. If Lollapalooza is happening in Argentina, you go to Argentina. So you basically just follow like major event circuit, major event cycles. Um, but there's like, again, the circuit depends on who you are and what your goals are. So for example, there was a circuit event at... Uh, this hotel in um, Dana Point on uh, in Sunday on Sunday, my friend my friends Casson and Jordan, who they're more in like the startup like venture capital world, and they want to meet like successful. I mean they they wanted to they want to meet like billionaires basically. So like the, there's like different types of people, and they were at this uh, Machine Gun Kelly like. I didn't even know exactly what it was, but it was a specific event that I realized is actually completely different than the the other type of circuit that like, for example, my friend Adam um, will go on. And so, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we we're staying at this like normal hotel in, in Dana Point, which is like a, an hour and a half, couple hours south of Malibu. And like we saw like Bryce Hall was there. Kobe Bryant's daughter Vanessa Bryant was just at the hotel, just in the lobby, um, and and like yeah, tons of like extreme like the Rothschild family apparently was at this event, um, who like runs the world basically. 
So, so yeah, it, it, the circuit depends on what your goals are. What I would say, uh, personally is a place that you, that, that I would really recommend going that I definitely want to go back to is there's a place in, if you go anywhere in July or anytime July and August to Capri in Italy, which is an island off the coast of Italy, uh, off the like Amalfi coast, um, there's this little tavern uh, called like Taverna Il Amore or something. It's something like that. If you Google Taverna Il Amore, I forget exactly the spelling. And it's this little like tavern with live music, live Italian music, all Italian, like Italian hits, no, no English. Everyone there is Italian. And they, I mean, they attract like some of the craziest like celebrities, you know, Shakira's went on stage and was like singing there. Jamie Foxx went on stage and started singing. And it's just like very tightly compact and everyone's singing these Italian songs that you don't know the words to. And it's just that, like we did that this past summer and it was like one of the most fun nights of my life. So that it's also very expensive. Capri is like extremely expensive. (laughs) So if you have money, I would go there. If you're more on a budget, then um, obviously, you know, Bali is kind of a staple, but, um, if you're more on a budget, let me think. Hmm. Honestly, we were just talking about Hawaii. Like Hawaii is, is not that bad. It's definitely expensive, but Hawaii is, Hawaii is one of those places where you get there, you stay there for a couple nights and you're just like, why the fuck am I living in Nashville? Like, or like, well, why am I living in LA? Like, this place is perfect. This is literally like if you had to describe heaven, this is it. It's just, it's it's amazing. Uh, and everyone's relaxed and kind and and the food is amazing. Uh, and that, you know, the environment is just, it's magical. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a question that I always love to ask and it is, what is your definition of success? I think success to me is three-pronged it's a you know a conscious connection to like what we were talking about earlier like you're spiritually you're aware that you're aware so you have to be conscious if you're unconscious if you're thinking about other things no matter what you're doing if you're not fully in the moment it's hard to say that that's a success so you have to be conscious spiritually to being near and or around family, loved ones is success in itself. Like that's a miracle in itself. Um, and then if you have those two things while simultaneously being able to, you know, um, as a man, like work on something that is contributing to the greater world as a whole, uh, regardless of the results of that thing, then, um, then that's what I would say success is. As long as you're building, you're around people you love and you're awake and aware of what you're doing, then you're successful. Arlen, where can everybody find you online? Where can they, you know, join tribe or, you know, follow your journey, YouTube, all that good stuff. Yeah. So very active on Instagram, um, at Arlen, A-R-L-I-N on Instagram. And then I also have a, seven-step workshop on uh, tribeaccelerator.com. 
So people can just go to tribeaccelerator.com. It's a free workshop that I put on daily and people can go there, sign up and, and, uh, those are the two best places. Then also my YouTube, Arlen Moore on YouTube. They can just check out some of the stuff I've been up to the last six, seven years. Well, Arlen, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a pleasure. Guys, as always, if you enjoyed today's conversation, share it with somebody who you think could get value from it and then go put it into action. You know, everyday action, extraordinary mindset, action comes first. And secondly, your price of admission, go rate the podcast, leave a comment, let us know what you thought. It helps drive the show forward so we can keep growing and have an incredible guest like Arlen. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. Thank you guys. Thank you, Mason.